when the presence of the Lord Most High manifests itself among a body of sons and daughters of the King, the atmosphere shifts. When heaven invades a room, we can only sit and behold your glory. Lord, your presence changes. Your holiness changes. Your presence heals. Your holiness heals. Your presence restores. Your holiness restores. Lord, through our encounter with you this morning, make us holy because you are holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, right? Man, the Lord is in this room. And the Lord's going to remain in this room through the next few minutes as we, as we go through His Word. Uh, we know His presence is always in His Word and that His Word is action. His Word brings activity. It brings creation it brings life. And at the end of this service, we're going to share in Holy Communion together. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the holiness of the Lord showed up in this room this morning and wrecked this place. He's asking each one of us this morning to have a reckoning with His holiness. You know, we've been in a, in a, a long series looking at the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I looked it up. I think it was back in October that uh, Dr. Birdie first uh, led us down the journey of exploring who Holy Spirit is. And she said, Holy Spirit is His name. And we saw that this morning. Amen. And, and of the many... Uh, and of the manifold wisdom that Bertie brought uh, to us and before us as she taught week after week on the Holy Spirit, one thing, uh, one salient point I want to bring up this morning and, and really point out, and that, that the primary role of the Holy Spirit, yes, He is our comforter, He's our helper, He's, he's, to, he's here to guide us into all truth and conform us to the image of the Son. But the Holy Spirit came to reveal the glorified Christ. Amen. And we saw a glimpse of the glorified Christ this morning. Jesus needed to rise, ascend, and be seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning for the Holy Spirit to come down and fill us with power, fill us with the authority that Jesus has seated in heaven. And we encountered the glorified Christ this morning. And, and we, got, uh, we got the opportunity to walk through the different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. He's the gift given at the point of salvation that keeps on giving. Yeah. Right? And so we heard from Greg and from Chris and from Raleen on the utterance gifts and the revelation gifts and the power gifts. 
And we learned through all those teachings that those gifts are for the edification of the church, for the building up of the believer. And, and, and what we're going to look at this morning is, so what? To, to, to what end? So that we can be built up and feel good about ourselves, so that we can even have sweet times of fellowship and healing and communion in this place, and that's it? Or does God have something bigger and better for us? Amen. So over the last, uh, throughout my whole life, but, but over the last two years specifically, um, the Lord has just really called me into the prayer closet. Um, it's almost shameful how, how much I was not spending time with my father um, prior to these last two years. But these last two years, I've been in the grip of God's grace. In, in March of 2020, we were living in San Antonio, and we, we were living in a, a rent house. And uh, like a lot of these older homes in San Antonio, they had a casita out back. And um, what I tell people at that time was that I was a, a freelance web designer. But what that really meant was that I was unemployed. <laughs> and so I had a lot of time. The other thing that was going on in March of 2020 was COVID. Um, so I had tons of time. Everybody was locked down. You all have your own experiences of COVID, I'm sure. But my experience, praise the Lord, was this. The Lord said, if you're going to get anything out of this time, it has to be me. It has to be me. And as I look back on that time, I, I was able to spend hours and hours and hours in the prayer closet with my father, learning to hear his voice, learning how to listen to him. My, I, I remember times where my, my wife and two girls would they'd pack up to go visit her parents about an hour and a half away. And, and, and prior in my life, when my, when my whole family would leave and I'm now a bachelor in the house, right, it's like nachos and football and whatever I want, right? And then right before, like the 30 minutes before my wife comes home, I run to the kitchen, scramble, do all the dishes that were laying there for the last two days, right? Um, but it, but it changed, that changed in this season. In this season, I remember times where I knew they were about to leave and they would pull away. And I would wait to make sure they didn't come back and forget anything. I'd lock the door. I'd close the blinds, and I'd go into my bedroom and just spend hours, hours with the Lord. And he changed me. He met me and he changed me. And he and I have, kept, have, have cultivated a relationship that continues to woo me every day, that continues to captivate me and draw me in closer. And, and so now daily, um, I feel like I'm hearing his voice more clearly and more loudly. Every day, I feel like I'm falling more and more in love with his written word. Like I, like I just need to consume more of it every day. Every day, I feel like my heart is becoming more like his heart. And I want to satisfy the desires of his heart over the desires of my heart. I feel like every day I, I, I wake up and I want to build his kingdom and not my own. 
Now, over the last two years, have I, have I been sinless? No, <laughs> certainly not. Chris knows me, he can attest. Absolutely. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, and I think this is important for us to hear as a church, I have certainly sinned less. I have certainly sinned less. And we actually need more people in the church standing up and, and saying that. Saying that time spent with the Lord is beneficial. And that sanctification is a real and attainable and purposed thing from our Lord. To be clear, I boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. That has crucified the world to me and me to the world. But I long to go deeper still with my Lord. And so I've come face to face and had a reckoning with the holiness of God. Like to go into the deeper waters, I have to take seriously the command that was born in Leviticus and that's repeated in 1 Peter chapter 1. Be holy, for I am holy, declares the Lord. Like, we, 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 we sometimes hear that and skip over it and read it glibly in, in Scripture and, and, and just kind of pass over it as something that's not attainable. That's maybe this ideal for somebody else, but certainly not for me. But it is for us. It is for us. If we're to reveal the glorified Christ to a sinful and broken and dying world, we have to be holy because he is holy. You see, this morning God will remind us that while the veil of separation has indeed been removed, while, while the veil has been torn and we now have access into the Holy of Holies, the people that we're called to reach, there is not just a veil, there is an eternally vast chasm of sin that separates them from the love of the Father that we get to experience on a daily basis. And this holiness is vital as we look this morning at our role as priests in the kingdom of God. The simple definition of a priest is somebody who represents God to the people and who represents the people to God. Do we, church, do we represent God to a people? Yes. We are called to be a city set on a hill, a light that is not placed under a bushel. They are supposed to see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen. So we are called to represent God to the world. And church, are we called to represent the people to God? That's a little bit of a different one, right? In the Old Testament, which we'll get to this morning, uh, the, the uh, priests would, be, would bring the sacrifices of the people before the Lord on the Day of Atonement, right? And he would be the mediator between God and man. So how do we as New Testament believers, how do, how do we represent the people before God? Well, you know what? I just witnessed it up here. Sisters and brothers would come and they would say, I'm not coming for myself, I'm coming for my dad. I'm coming for my dad, Sheldon. I'm coming for my friend, Lisa. And they, and they, and they place that person before the altar of the Lord 
and said, would you choose them? Would you heal them? Would you save them? What a job, what a responsibility, what an honor to represent people before the living God. And I want to pause here just for a second because the minute we talk about holiness and, and, and becoming holy people, and the minute we say the word priests, it just provides this fertile ground for the spirit of religion to pop up, right? So many of us have these preconceived notions about what a priest is, right? That I'm a New Testament believer, I don't need this priest language, right? Um, all, all that stuff. So no matter how you were brought up, the church you were raised in, all I'm asking you this morning is to hear the word of the Lord afresh this morning and understand your role as a priest in the kingdom of God. We are called to serve our king and his kingdom as priests, set apart, holy, for love and service. Our foundational first verse this morning will be 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there. 1 Peter 2, and for time's sake, we're going to do verses 4 through 5 and 9. It says in 1 Peter, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. And it goes on in verse 9. Listen to this, church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who had called you, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As you come to him, church, as you come to him, as you believe in him and surrender your life to him and trust in him for the complete and full forgiveness of your sins and for the hope of eternal life, as you come to him, not because you chose him, but because he chose you. How many of you need to hear this morning that you are chosen, that he chose you? This makes us like him. In fact, Jesus is the cornerstone upon which this verse says, we are being built up as a spiritual house. A spiritual house. This is, by definition, what we as Fireworks Church already are. We are a spiritual house already. Our house doesn't look uh, great, right? It's a cafeteria. Uh, our, our house feels more like a tabernacle that we have to take down and put up every week, right? But we are a spiritual house. Uh, Lisa and I, we've been married for 18 years, and over the, over the span of that time, we've owned three houses, and the house that we live in now was built in 1956. And so what lies in store for Brett and Lisa Williams living in a house built in 1956? Uh, repairs, renovation, remodeling, redecorating, repainting, rewiring, replumbing, regretting, right? <laughs> 
And what does a house do? It doesn't inherently do anything. It just sits there and takes up space and sucks all of our money out of our wallets. It, when we moved in, we began a renovation project, uh, and we're still doing it, thanks to the fact that eggs cost $5,000 a dozen. No kidding. No, no kidding. No kidding. And, and, and sure, our houses can be used uh, uh, as places where we have shelter for the storm and a place to lay our head and a safe place to, to raise up our kids. And, and I know there are exceptions to what I'm about to say, but, but just hear me out. For the most part, we have to leave our houses to engage with this world. We have to leave our houses to go to work. We have to leave our houses to come here and fellowship together as believers. We have to leave our houses as we go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, our spiritual house should be a place of coming and going, of gathering and scattering, right? A place where we come in on a Sunday morning and we worship together, we fellowship together, we pray together, we commune together, only so that we can commission one another to go back out and to love and serve the world. That is our role. That is our role. What our spiritual house cannot become, and listen close, what our spiritual house cannot become is a house that for the sake of the house and for the sake of those people who fellowship in it and find respite in it, we're constantly repairing and remodeling and fixing things that are broke or even adding on and adorning it to suit our preferences and our comforts. It's just got to be a tent of meeting where we meet with the manifest presence of the Lord and go back out to seek and save the lost. So how do we as believers in Jesus Christ represent him to the world? First, we have to know him. We have to know Him. It is through communion with a holy God. Let me say it another way. It's through holy communion. It's through deep times of personal intimacy with Him, telling Him our deepest desires, our deepest longings, our deepest fears, what gives us the most joy, learning to hear His voice, learning to hear His whisper. I was praying with a man this morning that the the, the whisper of God would be like a shout because he's so close to the Father. What a, what a place to live. We have to live in that place in order to step out of this building and represent God to the world. It's through drawing into the presence and experiencing such a deep relationship with the Lord that we can become the hands and feet of Jesus that we can be people whose uh, food and drink is to do the will of the Father who sends us. To, to be the people who are working signs and wonders and miracles for the name of Jesus and for his kingdom, that requires holiness. You know, one of the ways that we uh, represent God to the people is through prophecy. It's one way. You know what prophecy demands? Prophecy demands holiness. For two reasons. We have to be in communion with the Father. We have to be hearing Him clearly. We have to be hearing Him rightly. 
and we have to be living above reproach ourselves so that we can go and speak to our brother and our sister. But you know why else prophecy demands holiness? Because when we step out and we share the Lord of the Lord and somebody goes, that's right. You're amazing. How did you know that? It, does it require holiness, Rebecca? It requires holiness. Because pride is, is prowling around to swallow us up. Pride is swall- it wants to swallow us up. So I want to spend the rest of our time together by telling you two stories. I'm going to follow the uh, teaching pattern of Raleigh and Luna. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you an Old Testament story, and we're going to end our time together in a New Testament story. And, and what I want you to do is just hear the word of the Lord this morning. I want you to find yourself in these stories. And I want us to see the continuity and the parallel between the Old Testament and the New Testament when it comes to our priestly service uh, in the kingdom of God. Passover had come. The blood of the spotless lambs had been painted over the doorposts of God's chosen people. The nation of Israel had been saved from bondage and captivity and slavery in Egypt. And having been set free by the very hand of God, they found themselves thrust into a journey with the Lord. A journey fueled by the promise made to their forefathers, a promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. And not too far into that journey, they found themselves at the edge of a sea, the Red Sea. And with the enemy closing in, with Pharaoh's chariots closing in on them, Moses, the leader chosen by God to lead the people out of Egypt, when all hope seemed to be lost, Moses in great faith said this. He said, fear not, stand firm, And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. And listen to this verse, church. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. We love that verse, don't we? And you have only to be silent. It evokes such a strong sense of the Lord uh, swooping in supernaturally and working on our behalf and in our favor, and we don't have to do a thing. And all you have to do is be silent. As Chris Webb knows, that's probably one of the toughest stipulations for us as <laughs> human beings. Moses is saying you, all you have to do is be silent because two seconds before the Israelites saw Pharaoh's chariots, come, come, chariots coming, they were grumbling and complaining. They were telling Moses, we would have been better off if you had just left us as slaves in Egypt. At least we could have lived. Sometimes it takes the parting of a Red Sea, an outright miracle, to get us to sit in silence before the Lord and let him fight for us. In this topic of communion with the Lord, I'll say this, I've found that silence before the Lord, just simply gazing on his beauty and beholding his majesty, that's been one of the best investments of my time in my relationship with the Lord in the secret place. 
You see, it takes a long time when I come before the Lord for, for me to shut my mouth. And the minute I turn my mouth off, my brain turns on. And then I start thinking of all the other things I have to do. So it takes me another 20, 30 minutes to turn my brain off. And one of the prayers that I prayed and that God has been faithful to answer is bring me to the end of myself. Bring me to that place where I end and where you begin, oh God. So that it's not my thoughts, that it's not my words, that it's your words and your thoughts. Salvation had come, the Red Sea split, but only for God's chosen people. The enemy was swallowed up and defeated. As the Israelites journeyed through the land, they would wake up every morning to manna laying on the ground. They'd, they'd wake up every morning to bread from heaven. And they were told, only collect what you need for today. And everything that was left over till morning would be rotten, would be crawling with worms. God designed this so every day they would take that bread and eat it. And in doing that, they would remember that the Lord, is the Lord calling? <laughs> Martha, Martha Zaruba. We love you. We love you. Every time they took that piece of bread, they would take it and they would eat it. And they would remember what the Lord had done in bringing them out of the land of Egypt through the blood of the Passover lamb. And by Exodus chapter 19, the Israelites were encamped at the foot of the mountain in the wilderness of Sinai. Moses had gone up to meet with the Lord. He was the mediator between God and his people. And the Lord told Moses to tell the people, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Woo! Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. You see, God desired a people of his own possession, and he treasured the Israelites. That, that verse is clear in that bringing them out of the land of Egypt, bringing them out of captivity and slavery and bondage in Egypt, he was bringing them to himself. He was not setting them free to live their best life now. He was not setting them free to build their own kingdom and live the life they want to live and tack on God as an appendage. And these people hadn't done anything in particular to earn the favor of God. They were grumbling and complaining and disobedient and faithless people. Does that sound familiar? Praise the Lord that He chooses us. The goal was for them to be a nation set apart, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, that represented God so well to the world that the world would see the nation of Israel and declare that Yahweh was the one true God. They were called to be representatives of God to the people. God's model for the nation of Israel was that relationship, communication, manifest presence. We see the manifest presence of God throughout the story of Israel's journey. 
through time spent together listening and learning and, and learning to trust Him and obey His loving commands, we see, that, we see this truth this morning, that communion with God would empower them to be the light of the world, drawing other nations to God. That was the goal. That was the prize. But what were the conditions? If you keep my commands, if you listen to my voice, if you keep my covenant. In other words, holiness. Holiness is what sets you apart from the rest of the world so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God had saved the Israelites. He had set, set them free from slavery. You see, he chose them, saved them, and set them free to bring them into communion with him, relationship with him, to fill them and empower them to serve the world as kingdom of priests. And he chose Aaron, Moses' brother, from the tribe of Levi, to be the ordained priest, the high priest of Israel. And while Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, hearing directly from God how they would be a holy nation, Aaron, the chosen priest of God, that represent God to the people and the people to God, was collecting all the gold from the grumbling and complaining Israelites and fashioning it into a golden calf. He would build an altar to that calf, and they would worship that idol, giving it the glory for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Oh, Aaron, how could you? God chose you. God saved you. He set you free. He, he used you for his kingdom purposes. And in, and in 40 days, you've, you've given it all up. You've turned your back on him. And you've, you've, you've been uh, held prisoner by fear and um, by a fearful people. Aaron, how could you? Oh, Brett, how could you? God chose you. He saved you. He wants to manifest himself to you. He wants to heal through you. He wants to perform signs and wonders and miracles through you. But time after time in your life, you've turned to alcohol to soothe the pain. You've turned to sexual gratification to fulfill your desires. You've busied yourself with the excuse of work and career to find purpose and meaning instead of finding purpose and meaning in your relationship with the Lord. You've checked out in front of a TV screen or a phone screen instead of engaging with the world that I'm sending you into. And worst of all, you've chosen religion to pacify the guilt of receiving a life laid down without surrendering your life back to the one who died for you. Oh, Brett, how could you? Yes. Holiness is required when mediating between a holy God and a rebellious people, an unbelieving people, a grumbling people. Those are the people that we've been sent to. Listen to this, church. We must draw into deep times of communion with the Father to have the strength to engage with hard hearts, stubborn minds, and blind eyes. That's the job of a priest in the kingdom of God. 
We see it again as the Israelites have been set free from captivity in Babylon. Zechariah in chapter 3, where's Monet? Zechariah chapter 3, receives a vision from the Lord. And in that vision, he sees Joshua, the high priest of Israel. And he's clothed in filthy rags, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan is standing next to Joshua, ready to accuse him. You know, when, uh, when Satan accuses us, you know what he doesn't have to do? He doesn't have to lie. He just says the truth. He says what we do. And it's that guilt and condemnation and shame that we feel that is not from the Lord, that is from Satan. So he's standing before the Lord. And the Lord rebukes Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, for I have chosen Joshua. It's not because anything Joshua had done, but simply that God chose Joshua as the high priest. And this is what he did. He had the angel of the Lord and his hosts take off the, those filthy rags and clothe him with a new and white and clean robe. Yeah. Did Joshua even get to dress himself? No. He was clothed passively by the angel of the Lord. It's not through anything that we can ever do, but simply by the fact that we are chosen, that we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ and can stand clean before the Father in heaven. And so the angel of the Lord, after he would clothe Joshua, he would charge him with this charge. Zechariah 3, verse 6. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Here we are again. If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And listen to this, church. I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on that stone that I have set before Joshua, a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And listen, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. That's the hill of Calvary. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. This is a prologue to the New Testament, to the New Covenant. We are the men and women who have the right of access into the Holy of Holies. But the Holy of Holies is still the Holy of Holies. It still demands holiness. The one we approach is holy. Hebrews chapter 4, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, but he is still a holy God. We are not only men and women who have the right of access and who can bring our fathers and our mothers and our brothers and our sisters and our cousins and our co-workers before the Lord. We are men and women who are a sign. All of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about, it's for the building up of the body so we can be a spiritual house that comes and gets filled and goes out 
and shakes the world for the kingdom of God, who lives, who lives in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, who pours out the blood of Jesus over the sins of the world and sees the world changed. That is our call as Fireworks Church. And we, we're going to see this fully in our next story. So I'm going to invite um, John or whoever y'all have planned to come back up. Um, and we're going to take communion together as I tell you this last story. And so once he starts praying, I want everybody to come and receive the cup and the, and the bread. And I want you to hold on to it. Don't take it immediately. We're going to take it together as a family this morning. Believe that the Lord wants to unite us together, committing ourselves to holiness, so that we can leave this place to love and serve the world. And before you come, I want to stress this about the bread and the wine. This is, this is how we commune together as a fellowship of believers. We're, we're coming under the common belief and common bond of the blood of Jesus Christ spilled out for us and His body broken. So this is, this is a meal for the believer. And what I want to say this morning is if you have yet to place your faith and your trust and your whole life and your eternity in the hands of Jesus, then today He is choosing you. He is calling you. Today, if you've heard His voice throughout this message, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. We prayed before this service that somebody would receive this communion this morning and it would be their first communion as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, it's available. Salvation, redemption, forgiveness of your sins is available today. Find me, find an elder, we'll pray with you and we'll rejoice with you in communion. And for those of you who are in the body of Christ, who are a part of the Bride of Christ. We are called to take this uh, solemnly and seriously. Because as we learn today, we're approaching a holy, holy, holy God. And so if, if, if up to this point in the service you haven't reckoned with God about your sin, pray that you would spend these moments in, um, in repentance and humility asking the Lord who is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins to do just that. So we will come as a holy people to his holy table and we will take it in the name of a holy father who sent us a holy son who he would glorify in order that he could send us a holy spirit. As you come and receive the elements, they're going to play behind us. We're going to worship together. Hold on to those elements. Our kids are going to sup with us. They're going to fellowship with us. We're going to take this together as a family. But let's pray. Receive the elements prayerfully. Hold on to them and we'll continue our service. Dear Jesus, we come before you. We are a sinful people.
who were far off from you, who were dead in our trespasses and our sins, who were unable to come to you on our own. And you chose us. Lord, you are choosing people in this room right now to save and to heal and to restore. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves under the righteousness of Christ. As each person stands to receive the elements, may they stand clothed white as snow, approaching the table with confidence based on the righteousness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and receive the bread and the cup.